Hello, everyone. It's May 3rd, 2022, and this is episode one of season two of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers. Hello, everyone. I'm Misty. And I'm Joel. And this is the More Math for More People podcast brought to you by CPM Educational Program. On this podcast, we discuss the CPM curriculum, trends in math education, and share strategies to shift instructional practices to create a more inclusive and student-centered classroom. We also highlight upcoming CPM professional learning opportunities and have conversations with math educators about how they do what they do. And we always try to have a little bit of fun and laughter as well. Indeed we do. So come and find out what shenanigans we're up to on this episode. Boom. All right, Joel. Season two. What day is it today? Season two. Whoop, 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 whoop. Today is National Two Different Colored Shoes Day. What? Yeah. Two Different Colored Shoes Day. So does that mean I'm wearing two shoes of different colors, like a red shoe and a blue shoe? Or does that mean that I'm wearing shoes that have red and blue on them? Or shoes of different size. No, I'm just kidding. No, the, it's different uh, colors, not different shoes. Different two different shoes. Sure. Hopefully I am wearing two different <laughs> shoes. It'd be hard to wear one shoe. Yeah, so it, it, uh, the holiday was created just to encourage us to embrace uniqueness and put it on display. And so that's, that's what this day is acknowledging. Well, I have two different colors of hair, so that would be also. Yeah, that celebrates too. I went to the DMV yesterday to renew my license, and the guy asked me, what color hair would you like put down? (laughs) (laughs) What'd you say? I said brown. Okay. Since that was the more normal part color of my hair. But anyway, so two different color shoes days to embrace our own Mm -hmm. uniqueness. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So Joel, you're going to wear two different colored shoes? Absolutely. It would be easy to celebrate that Uh, one. Yes. And I kind of feel like I celebrate on a daily basis sometimes. Cause I, I feel like Do you wear two different colored shoes on other days or well, I, I'm a little mismatchy and, and part of this has actually bled into my daughter. And so Samantha growing up, I just allowed them to go ahead and get dressed for school. And Samantha would come out in different colored socks and different colored shirts and whatever. And here we go. We're going to school. And so that's just kind of how our family went, but I love celebrating uniqueness and I love being unique to myself. I mean, that's good. I think that everyone should enjoy being unique. Absolutely. I think that's one of the like uh, two contrasting, pulling in different directions and drives that we have, right? The sense of being ourselves and unique and individuals, and then this sense of belonging and being in part of a group. There's just very opposing drives that we yep. have that we need to balance and figure out how to fulfill both. Absolutely. Excellent. Two different colors you say. Yes. Two different colored shoes. Some interesting things about shoes. Sneakers are sneaky. Sneakers are sneaky. Meaning that they allowed, in the 1800s, they created rubber soles Mm. so that you could move around without making noise. Mm. Also, men wore heels first. I knew that, actually. This this was uh, boots and shoes kind of were inspired by royalty Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so they kind of wore those things. The feet sides, so left, right, were the same for many years. So that so so you didn't have a right shoe and a left shoe. You just had two shoes. That's right. That would that's make right. make dressing for kids a lot easier. 
Absolutely. Even today when I put on socks, I appreciate the socks that give me the L and the R. What's different about the socks that like that they would go on your feet different? I don't know, but they tell me they are. Huh, so interesting. The, so the, that's the way I follow, I guess, those social norms. <laughs> <laughs> By putting the sock on the correct that's foot. That's right. That's right. So the other week when I was in Europe for a couple of weeks, we mm-hmm. in Amsterdam, we went to a place where they had the windmills and everything and all the different stuff. And they had a, actually a, what do I want to say, a, a shop, right, where they mm-hmm. still make wooden shoes. Oh, and we wow. watched this guy making the wooden shoes. Like they have a little, um, like a template, a form, you know, a kind of like rough form shoe that they use then in the lathe, like follows the one as a form and okay. puts the other one down and then they drill out the middle and all this stuff. And it was, it was really interesting. And then we were trying to put on wooden shoes <laughs> and it was very hard because they're very, they're, they're very large. Okay. But the cool thing, I hadn't realized this, that the cool thing, this is what's so, I always think that there's so many things where like the just the Dutch are ingenious, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, they created a whole country out of, you know ocean and so the um the wood shoes like if you made wooden shoes for a child then as the child gets bigger you just drill out more of the inside to make more room because they're they're really thick with the wood and then you just just make them wider and wider inside so that you could have the same shoes for a kid for like years and years i thought that was was very smart you know so you don't have to make keep making new shoes right for them if they were made out of leather or some other thing did they customize them with color at all the sh- uh the ones in the store for sure were customized okay. with color yeah like i had a whole bunch of different ones you could buy so you could get one of each color oh you you could have but you would have had to buy two pairs they wouldn't have let you just buy one from each <laughs> shoe you'd have to buy two pairs so i had a student one time her and her dad had a business that they would customize your shoes so oh. if you gave them a pair uh-huh. of shoes they would paint them for nice. you however you wanted and i still have those shoes oh, today very cool yeah. Well, you can wear them with some other shoes to celebrate National Two Different Colors Shoes Day. Exactly. There you go. I love it. Announcements, announcements. Announcement one. So our first announcement this week is that uh, event registration for the summer is now open, opened on May 1st. So that means any in-person events or virtual events for all of our different course offerings, professional learning course offerings are now open and you can find those in the events catalog in the professional learning portal. And if you need help with that, find a person who knows. Absolutely. And I did notice that in the portal that some of the language has changed from PL opportunities to other things. And so look for those live and on-demand events as they're happening. Excellent. Announcement two. That's you. Just a reminder (laughs) about the residential registration. So our residential uh, institute is in Salt Lake City and registration is open until May 31st. So please register your teachers. We're excited to see you. It's going to be a great event. All of our professional learning events will be at that place. So sign up for everything if you can. Announcement three. So our third announcement today is that So as part of getting things ready for the summer, we have reset all of the content modules and the instructional modules. So if you are enrolled in any of those, you've been unenrolled and you can re-enroll back into them if you'd like to, to finish them up. You'd have to redo any of the work you didn't have completed. And 
also the events and all the other things that you've done, you have, we now have a professional learning record that you can access in the portal. So just real quick, if you go to your profile picture, you click on the drop down menu, you'll see it says PL record. And in there, you'll find all of your module completions, all of the things you've done. You can click in and find your certificates of completion. You can print a transcript. You can link to anything in there, and then that link you can give to whoever you want, and they can actually look at it without having to log into the portal to do so. So there's lots of different options there for you. Check it out. There'll be some more information that's either come out recently or is coming out on social medias. And if you have any questions, as always, reach out to your RPLC or support at cpm.org about the professional learning record. So you're not losing anything. It's all there. You'll always be able to find it. It's there forever. Fantastic. End of announcements. All right, so here we are today. We have Jeremiah Morgan and Jocelyn Dunnick with us today. Uh, Jocelyn, yeah, welcome, guys. Uh, Jocelyn is the Regional Professional Learning Coordinator for the Northeast, and I'm not going to name all of those states. There's <laughs> a number of small mm-hmm. ones over there. Yeah. And, and Jeremiah uh, lives in Minnesota and is a professional learning specialist in the Great Plains region. I am, yes. Welcome here. They are here today because they're our team leads, not the only people doing this, but they are definitely our go-to what's happening explainers Mm -hmm. for our new Building on Discourse uh, learning event. So they're here to tell us what that is. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome. And and what is it? Yeah. What is this? So tell us what what, what is Building on Discourse? Well, Building on Discourse is a three-day in-person event or a six-session virtual learning series that allows teachers to really investigate how they facilitate mathematical communication within their classroom. So when we think about discourse, we're thinking about all the ways that students communicate their mathematical thinking. And generally, it's through conversation in what we're planning. So it could be written, it could be visual, but there's a lot of talk that happens, a lot of talking to learn within discourse. So discourse is really about students putting out their ideas and articulating their ideas, um, and then seriously considering their classmates' ideas and using that to build better mathematical understanding. Ooh, I like that, Jocelyn. I, I think of it too as, as I'm becoming more informed on this topic that it was all of those things that we hung on to as teachers. Like as if you traditionally stood at the front of your classroom, uh, you really benefited from the power of rephrasing something that a student shared or highlighting elements of something that uh, was shown at a, a team um, as they were working, even sometimes uh, writing down things that students are sharing and we get to write that on the board and be messy with it and circle parts of it and all of those things that we love doing as teachers. It's this, the element of discourse is being able to provide that for all students. So teaching students how to rephrase things and teaching students how to share and, and to benefit from hearing the things that other students are sharing as well. Wow, that's that's incredible. I, as you were talking about that, I was really thinking about how, you know, we talk about shared authority mm-hmm. a lot here. And one of the things that I recognize is that as educators, we do, we get to sort of learn things over and over and over again and rethink about them. And then we really kind of forget 
how hard it is to figure all those things out from the beginning again. But that that idea that getting, you know, letting kids do that same kind of engagement that we've done before. I was just going to say, it's, it's so thinking about discourse, I always think about the conversation piece and not so much the listening piece and the processing piece. So that's really fun to hear about. Yeah, we think that's that's one of um, many shifts that teachers who are facilitating good discourse within their classroom do have to make. Some of us are very good at sharing our ideas. We're very good at speaking. But in true collaboration, you have to value what the other person puts out and use that to create your own understanding as well. And if the 10th the student who shares is somehow connected to something that the first student shared, that's pretty powerful too. So Jocelyn, you said it's three in-person days or six virtual sessions, and that'll be offered starting this summer. And, and it sounds like pretty much the objectives and the focus are around discourse, but can you clarify more like what, what, is, the, what is the focus of this event other than just discourse itself? Absolutely. Um, so some teachers might be familiar with the five practices for orchestrating meaningful mathematical discourse. There's a whole series of books and blog posts and all kinds of resources about that. So in our event, we're really digging into each of those five practices and helping teachers to plan a lesson that utilizes all of those so that we're engaging students in meaningful mathematical discourse um, and going for understanding. So over the course of, of the events, our teachers will be selecting rich tasks for their course, selecting a goal that's really going to drive all of their instructional decisions. So having a very clear focus for the outcome of the lesson and what students will understand about mathematics. They'll take some time to anticipate possible student responses and really think about how students might enter, approach the problem, what connections they might make. Uh, we'll develop some tools for supporting students in that work. Um, so how will you monitor their work? What questions will you ask them? We'll consider selecting and sequencing. So thinking about the quality of the different kinds of work and representations and ideas students might put out and how those might be um, connected to each other. And really think about a storyline for the mathematics. So how do we create a storyline within this one particular lesson? And then really the art of how you get students to share those ideas and make connections between them. And as Jeremiah had said, without it being the teacher who's making the connections or controlling the narrative, how do we truly turn that over to students? So mm -hmm. there's a lot to it. Um, but when you walk out of the Building on Discourse series, you're going to have an amazing lesson plan and just strategies to use these practices within every single lesson, every single day. It will just make you a much better teacher. Very cool. Do you, do you have an example of a specific activity now? Or? Yeah, you can give us a sneak peek. Yeah, we sure can. Uh, we're doing some pretty exciting math problems. Some teachers are using in their classrooms right now. There are some new tasks as well uh, that CPM has put out that are a little less widely known. So we, we pick some from course three. We have some problems from inspirations and ideas. And there'll be some hands-on activities as well. Um, it's going to be very minds-on. A lot of math. Lots of opportunities to do and participate. I think that that's great. I like that's a lot of things to model and to make mm -hmm. sense of for teachers and to sort of take in the process of moving from me as the teacher doing all of the connecting and then explain to kids what connections there are to helping them make do that is is challenging. It's very challenging. And I think something really excited about the rich tasks is that it's the multiple points of entry. So it's the what is sometimes referred to as the less sophisticated explanation or strategy is really, it's the most intriguing, the most engaging, 
And for math teachers, sometimes it's nice to move us away from maybe going directly to the equation. So it's just, it's just really cool that all students would be really successful with these types of problems. Yeah, we had some conversation. I think, Joel, we were talking about that the other day about that the equation, the rule, the abstract is not, we have this idea it's more efficient, but it's not always, it's not just make it better. It doesn't make it always the way that, to that, oh, that makes more sense or actually shows us what's going on. It's just a way of calculating often. Well, anything else that you think we should know about building on discourse? You are going to be engaged for three full days in the summer, and there will not be a moment to miss. And you're going to leave feeling prepared that you can implement something very early in the school year and that you'll be confident that it will be a great experience for all of your students. Will there be any sort of follow-up throughout the year, or is this a summer event only? Uh, this is just a summer event only. And, you know, the the idea that we are really fortunate in the CPM community to have lots of rich tasks and to be able to do elements of discourse in every single class period. The five practices which we're using during the three days, it's really not the expectation that every lesson be planned to incorporate elements of the five practice, but we're using the five practices in order to help teachers plan to incorporate discourse into every lesson. So it feels intense in the summer, but it's, it's going to be just a natural part of teacher instructional practice during the school year. So uh, that's an interesting thought. So you're saying like the five practices is a great way to work on math discourse Mm -hmm. and to build that capacity for students in your classroom. And you wouldn't do it in every single lesson. However, that discourse carries over, right? If we do it at selected lessons and so on, then that idea that that the kids are building about their own shared math authority carries over into the lessons. We're not specifically doing five practices. Is that accurate? It is a lot of work uh, to plan a lesson with the mm-hmm. five practices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And totally. it's unrealistic to think you would do that day in and day out. And it would be very challenging for students, too. It's it's a lot of thinking for the teacher and for the students. But when I first learned about the five practices, I tried to use one lesson every chapter. Sometimes it fell off, but I definitely hit one every marking period. But I also found that I was thinking more about the questions that I would ask. And I was considering more about different ways that students might approach a problem. So I found myself anticipating more often. And it really changed closure because as I was circulating and I got to see the exciting ways that my students were approaching problems, it gave me tools and strategies to, on a more regular basis, put student work in front of the whole class to have students share ideas. So I would do a select and sequence in many lessons, at least once a week. And that just became a regular part of my practice. So it was exciting when we got to do the full rich tasks and have the whole from beginning to end with the student-led discussion. But I did definitely find myself starting to use some of the practices every single day. They felt natural. It helped me to facilitate the collaboration. My students got better at having conversations in their teams. So it really raised the level of my teaching um, a couple of years into using CPM. So we feel this is an excellent topic for a building on instructional practice series. I know this event is being offered at Residential Workshop in Salt Lake City, or Residential Institute, excuse me, in Salt Lake City. Where else is this going to be offered? Is it a a contracted event, or is it just various cities throughout the country? 
So if you look in the PL Portal events catalog, we have regional locations listed. There's more being added all the time. We could do this one for con- contract. It's definitely something reach out to your RPLC if you are interested and you think this would benefit you and your professional learning community or your district, and we can make something happen. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jocelyn and Jeremiah, for coming on the podcast. And we sure appreciate it. And hopefully folks will have a better idea of what Building on Discourse is or one of our new learning events for this year. And we'll get a bunch of people signed up for it. So thank you. That would be incredible. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, you guys. During season two of our More Math for More People podcast, we want to add a new reoccurring segment of questions from our listeners. We want to hear from you. So please send us any questions, suggestions, thoughts, or ideas to cpmpodcast at cpm.org. We'd love to hear from you. So that's a wrap for this episode of the More Math for More People podcast. For more information and to stay connected, you can find CPM on both Twitter and Facebook. The music for the podcast was created by Julius H. and can be found on pixabay.com. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel? It'll be National Cherry Cobbler Day. You know, I make a pretty mean cherry cobbler, but recently I was at a supper club in Minnesota where I saw the great Marilyn May celebrating her 94th birthday. Shout out, Marilyn May. And they they served a seasonal cobbler, which I really loved. This time it was a peach. I, I didn't even realize it was peach season, but it was so delicious. But we're not here to celebrate peach cobbler. We're here to celebrate cherry cobbler. And cherry cobbler is so delicious. I love both sweet and tart cherries. And so a mixture of both of these delicious. I also like to kind of make my own little oat and uh, crisp topping. So if you ever need a recipe, please shout out to, uh, to myself, Joel, and uh, I'll share my recipe.